Welcome to the El Montecito School U.S. History Podcast for Tuesday, May 20th, 2014. On this day in 1775, North Carolina supposedly became the first colony to declare its independence from Great Britain. The dispute comes from a report of a document signed in Charlotte by the citizens of Mecklenburg County, which was was a reaction to the Battle of Lexington. However, the Mecklenburg Declaration, as it came to be known, was not published until 1819 and had much of the wording which seemed to be taken from the Declaration of Independence. The original document was never found. Many historians believe the error comes from the Mecklenburg Resolves, a set of radical resolutions made by the townspeople, but which fell short of actually separating from Great Britain. However, the early government of North Carolina held so tightly to the belief that their state declared independence before the rest of the country that the date May 20, 1775, is on North Carolina's flag to this day. In 1861, the capital of the Confederacy was moved from Montgomery, Alabama, to Richmond, Virginia. As one of the first states to secede during the Civil War, Alabama had invited other states to send their delegates to Montgomery to form the Confederate government, and Jefferson Davis took the oath of office as the first Confederate president on the steps of the state capitol. But by May of 1861, it was hot and humid, and the mosquitoes were changing the delegates' minds about choosing a place in the Deep South as their capital. So when Virginia seceded in April, they offered Richmond as a place to meet, and when the Confederate Congress approved the change on this day, they moved. Richmond was not only cooler, but brought more resources to the war. However, as the new capital, they were constantly under threat of attack by Union forces. Late in the war, as the city was captured and burned, the capital moved briefly to Danville, Virginia, for only eight days before the South surrendered and the war was over. On this day in 1927, Charles Lindbergh took off from New York to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Eight years earlier, a hotel owner, Raymond Ortigue, offered a $25,000 prize to the first person to make a non-stop flight over the Atlantic between New York and Paris. Initially, no one even attempted to win the prize, but as technology improved, the flight seemed to become more of a possibility. However, six well-known aviators had already lost their lives over the Atlantic when Lindbergh took off from Roosevelt Field in his plane named the Spirit of St. Louis. It carried about 450 gallons of fuel, which weighed over a ton, and barely cleared the telephone lines at the far end of the runway. Over the next 33 and a half hours... He battled storm clouds, flying for hours through fog, navigating by the stars, and of course, sleep deprivation. As he approached Paris, he knew the little airfield was on the outskirts of town, but as he got closer, he saw a small building with bright lights spreading out in all directions. They turned out to be the headlights of tens of thousands of cars which had driven out to the runway during the night to see the landing the next morning. When Lindbergh safely touched down, a crowd of 150,000 Parisians dragged him out of the plane and carried him above their heads for almost half an hour. Lindbergh, a former U.S. airmail pilot, became an instant worldwide celebrity. And on this day in 1961, the Freedom Riders rode into Montgomery, Alabama. 
As part of the civil rights movement, activists challenged the separation of black and white riders on buses by planning rides where people of different races would intentionally sit together, which was against the law in many southern states. Even though the Supreme Court had basically ruled against this kind of segregation when the buses crossed state lines, many police did not enforce this decision, and so the fight over integration also became a fight over individual states' ability to ignore federal law. On the morning of May 20th, a bus carrying Freedom Riders drove from Birmingham, Alabama to Montgomery under the protection of the Alabama State Highway Patrol. But as the bus reached the city limits, the police abandoned it, and soon after, a mob waited to attack the riders with baseball bats and iron pipes. Eventually, this forced the federal government to send in U.S. Marshals to protect future rides and future civil rights protests, which escalated the battle and brought attention to the cause. One of the original Freedom Riders, John Lewis, was elected as a U.S. congressman from Georgia in 1987 and still serves in Congress today. Our theme today is sacrifice. In his Gettysburg Address, President Lincoln spoke of America's obligation to repay our debt to those who died in service to our country when he said, It is for us, the living rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. And President John F. Kennedy once said, A nation reveals itself not only by the men it produces, but also by the men it honors, the men it remembers. This has been the El Montecito School U.S. History Podcast. Produced by Nate Conklin, this is Mark Bates with music by Olivia Bates. Remember, when you cross the street, be sure to look both ways, into the past and ahead to the future.